Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Daybreak, the show where fun ideas and occupations come to life. I'm your host, Pippa Schrader, and today we'll shine a spotlight on Cass and what she's doing during this time. We will also be interviewing Ezra Meyer, who is a water resources specialist and also environmental specialist at Clean Wisconsin. After the announcement break, we will have a crazy news story on a pitcher plant that has a unique partnership that involves a whole lot of poop. And now, let's get on with the show. This week, our spotlight is Cassidy Bailey, who lives in the Twin Cities but is visiting Bryn, you may remember her from our pets episode, Bryn's cousin, Haley, in Madison. She says that she's been working a lot, but it's like normal because she can do her job easily from home. To keep busy, she's also been doing lots and lots of puzzles, listening to audiobooks and podcasts and walking her two dogs, Jax and Ava, all the time. Her message to our listeners is to be kind to yourselves. This time is very overwhelming, so it's okay to just relax once in a while. Thanks, Cass. Now, has anyone ever wondered where the waste goes after you flush the toilet? Or how to keep our lakes clean? If not, or if so, listen up because we're about to interview Ezra Meyer, who works at a company called Clean Wisconsin, and who works in the Madison Metropolitan Sewage District. His main job is to keep the environment clean and safe for everyone. Hi, Ezra. Hi, Pippa. How are you? Pretty good. How are you? Good. I wish it was sunnier today, but uh, we need rain, right, for all the crops and plants, so, you know. Yeah. So, Ezra, what inspired you to get this job? Well, I grew up, um, I was lucky growing up in southeastern Wisconsin to always have water nearby. I grew up near a lake, and my grandparents' were, uh, house was on a lake. So I grew up doing lots of fun water things like swimming and sailing and canoeing and fishing. Hmm. And so I've always just loved water and loved lakes and rivers, which I kind of, you know, got to know around Wisconsin growing up. And I loved the Great Lakes when I got to go to them for the first time when I was a younger kid. When I got a little older, I went to the oceans and uh, thought those were were really cool and really special, huge water bodies where you couldn't even see the other side, you know. And... um, so I just fell in love with water, I think, ever since I was a kid. And then, um, then you know, my kind of my, as I like went through school and high school and college and had to figure out kind of what was my passion or what did I want to work on, you know, I, um, I, I really got to a place of thinking that I want to work on making sure our water and our land exist as healthy ecosystems, healthy natural resources, you know, and, um, thought about this a little bit there's two kinds of of proactive work that have to happen to make sure our environment is in good shape we need people kind of problem solving how do we we have seven plus billion human beings on the planet now and how do we humans coexist on the planet with all the other species and with the planet itself in a way that works for everybody right Mm -hmm. so we need like problem solvers people who can think through those challenges and come up with good answers and then there's a second thing we need, which is people who kind of speak for the natural resources, like Dr. Seuss's Lorax spoke for the trees. But, you know, people have to speak for the rivers, the river otters, the jellyfish, the owls in the forest, because those can't, those critters and, and those parts of an ecosystem can't speak for themselves. So we, where I work, Clean Wisconsin now, and where I've worked for 12 years, 
um, does both of those things. Like we do the part of thinking about creative problem solving for how to have humans, you know, exist on the planet in a, in a healthy way for everybody. And the kind of like speaking for natural resources so that they have a voice metaphorically speaking in the capital and in the decision-making of government and businesses and, and people, individual families and people. Um, so I really like that, that, you know, that, uh, the work I do kind of ties back to all these things that are really important to me ever since I was a kid. And, and, uh, that's where my inspiration to get into this really came from. Hmm. So it sort of ties into another question. So what are things that just anyone can do to keep specifically the lakes and rivers of Wisconsin or wherever you're living clean? There's a lot of different things that kind of come in at different levels, I would say, but there, you know, first of all, there's things. Um, that you can do kind of on your your property if you you know if you have a house and a, and a lawn and a garden uh, I think you um, want to talk more specifically about some of that stuff later so maybe we'll get into that but there's you know mm-hmm. there's ways you um, you manage your property that relate to yes. clean, keeping the lakes and rivers clean mm-hmm. um, what kind of stuff runs off of the runs off of your property with rain rain or when the snow melts you know so um, Examples would be if we use uh, pesticides and yeah. fertilizer on our lawns, and especially if we're not careful about how much of those things we put on, those things run off of the land when the rain mm-hmm. you know moves across the land surface and flows downhill towards the nearest lake or nearest river. And uh, so we have a direct impact like that. The same is true with salt that we put down on our sidewalks and driveways in the winter too much salt is not good for aquatic life in in lakes and rivers and and uh that salt um does its job right of melting ice and snow but it is toxic if it gets to too high of a level in the lakes mm-hmm. or the rivers so we have to be really careful about what we put on the on the land that way with salt because that'll um that affects the lakes and rivers directly so those are some of the, like direct things we do but then all kinds of things that are maybe like a little more indirect but just like uh, how much we drive our car around, our cars around, yeah. cars always drip a little bit of oil and a little bit of antifreeze from the engine and windshield washer fluid and these mm. kinds of things. And that mm-hmm. lands on our, on our parking lots, roadways. And so the runoff, imagine the rain landing on a, on a parking lot or a roadway yeah, yeah. has all those chemicals on it. Those mm. chemicals are gonna wash into the lakes and the rivers. So we have to be careful with that kind of you know direct or indirect, I suppose, kind of impact that we have. Um, and then things we do, you know, all the way zooming out to like things that we do as a individual or a household that affect climate change. Well, climate change is affecting negatively, you know, impacting lakes and rivers in, in certain ways. Um, just kind of a Wisconsin example, Lake Superior is, um, you know, this one of the largest lakes in the world, one of the deepest mm-hmm. lakes in the world. It, yeah. uh, it generally is really clean and clear and, mm-hmm. uh, and really cold, but <laughs> with climate change uh, measurements that scientists have been making over the last 10 or 20 years, they're seeing Lake Superior is actually one of the, one of the water bodies that's warming up the fastest wow. of any other lakes in the, or compared to the oceans mm-hmm. anywhere else in the, in the globe. And uh, we don't know fully you know, kind of why that's happening or what, uh, what's behind that, but it's, it's not good for some of the species that live in Lake Superior because they're used to the cold water that's there and they can't survive if it gets too warm. So, so even like climate change, which is a really big like global issue, we all have a direct impact on climate change and then, cli- and then climate change impacts our lakes and rivers right here in Wisconsin and all over the planet. 
So some things, to, like you said, to, some things to keep our Lexington Rivers clean. So watch what you're putting on your lawn and how much of it. Um, make sure that you don't contribute much to climate change and do some research about climate change. And then also don't drive your car as much. Yeah, and, and yeah, those all those all fit into yeah. the picture. And there's more, you know, like how the food you you, you choose to buy and eat. Um, you know, a huge amount of like Wisconsin's landscape, if you think of the whole state, is in agricultural use, right? There's a lot mm-hmm. more agricultural land and forest land than there is city cities, even though we have pretty big cities like Milwaukee yeah. and Madison and Green Bay and and the whole list of cities, but. There's a lot of agricultural land, and the way that we manage agricultural land to either grow crops for humans to eat, crops for livestock to eat, or actually growing, you know, um, dairy cows or beef cattle or pigs or chickens or all these different, Mm -hmm. um, all of those different kinds of the sort of food system and the agriculture, um, agriculture that's happening to raise that food for humans, that has a really big impact on water. It's like... um, there's a that's a lot of the work that we work on at Clean Wisconsin and other groups like us really focus on how can we make the impacts of agriculture on our natural resources and especially our waters be less than they are right now because there's a lot of negative impacts to water quality that are happening right now in Wisconsin from agriculture. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, also like you were talking about earlier about um, the pesticides that and the fertilizers. So what does that do to directly impact um, lakes and rivers? Sure, yeah. So, um, you know, for one, like like I kind of mentioned with salt, with mm-hmm. um, the salt we put down, yeah. literally just too much salt, too much chloride becomes toxic for fish and bugs and, and reptiles that would live in the water. So, they, you know, there's a direct kind of toxic impact that way. Um, fertilizer with, you know, on a on a lawn, but also like manure or fertilizer on farm fields. Yeah. That what you're talking about there is nutrients. Mm-hmm. And of course, nutrients are essential for life of a, of a plant, you know, um, but too much nutrient in the soil or too much nutrient mm-hmm. in a water body yeah. causes there, you know, it's, um, there's so much food. If you have too much nutrients in a lake or a river, there's so much food in there now that certain types of plants or algae, which are a form of plants, they just take off because they have lots of food and as long as they have sunlight and the other key ingredients they need for success their population will explode so you can have too much nutrients means you can have way more algae than there would be in a natural kind of a balanced system and when there's too much algae it's not good for the other species that live in the water and it makes it really gross for humans like you don't want to swim in a water body with an algae bloom you don't want to water ski canoe swim or sail any of these kinds of things because it's it becomes really gross and possibly even dangerous. Some algaes are actually have toxic chemicals in them oh. so that humans or dogs that swim in that water can get sick from it. So nutrients, which are generally speaking a good thing, but too much nutrients can be a really bad thing for water bodies. Yeah. So sort of switching to another part of your job. So I know that you also work with the Madison Metropolitan Sewage District, and I have a bit of a gross-ish question for you. So um, like I said, this is kind of a gross question, but when you go to the bathroom, where does your waste go? That's right. Well, we, so the, um, I mean, it's real. It's not, it's not gross. It's just real, right? So yeah. we, it, in, in the Madison area, the, the, organization i'm a commissioner of the uh, of the madison metropolitan sewerage district and i'm appointed to that position by the mayor of madison and um the 
it's called the Med Madison Metropolitan Sewerage District. So that organization brings in all of the um, the sewage uh, from our houses, businesses, etc. Not even just from Madison, but it's called Metropolitan because it actually pulls in from um, Madison and, and many of its immediate, like close-in suburbs, Monona, Fitchburg, mm -hmm. um, Middleton, but even some communities that are a little farther out from Madison in, in Dane County, yeah. like Wanakee and Oregon and... Um, not Oregon, but Wanakee, um, and other, I'm trying to blank on other, I'm blanking on other ones, but I think all the way out to Cottage Grove and <clears throat> Cross Plains. So all these different communities now, um, pipe their, the sewage from all of their buildings, you know, houses and businesses mm -hmm. and everything else. And it all gets piped into one central sewage treatment plant, which is on the south side of Madison. Yeah. So if you've ever ridden a bike around the Capital City Trail or driven mm -hmm. a car to, um, the Lucier Center, you go right past the, um, the sewage treatment plant. So that plant is what treats and cleans up all the sewage coming from all these different communities. And it's not just from houses, but also from industry and from businesses and that type of thing. But um, that's where, you know, that's the big answer to kind of where does the waste go? Obviously, if in your house, it goes through your toilet, out your, your sinks and your showers mm -hmm. and washing machines, and it goes into pipes that um, all head in the direction of the sewage treatment plant. And sometimes it just flows through those pipes downhill. The pipes are, the, the engineers who can design all this try to design it so that the, the liquid water, right, it's, it's water, but with other stuff in it, it all moves yeah. downhill um, as much as possible. But sometimes they have to use pipes with pumps to lift it up if it has to go uphill a little bit until it can go downhill again towards the sewage treatment mm -hmm. plant. And then from the sewage treatment plant, everything gets cleaned up um, really well. You wouldn't drink the water coming straight out of the end of the pipe at the sewage treatment plant, but it's <laughs> close. It's almost close to that clean. Um, and then it gets piped back into the environment. So it goes into a river on the south side of Dane County, actually two rivers on the south side of Dane County, and flows back into the natural environment. It becomes a part of, of, uh, of the natural ecosystem again after it's been cleaned up at the sewage treatment plant. How do they separate out stuff that um, you flush down the toilet from the yeah, water? Yeah, there's, um, there's a lot of really complicated and cool technology mm -hmm. that, that um, operates at the sewage yeah. treatment plant to do all of that. Um, and I don't even know if I can explain all, all of it in depth, but really great, talented engineers mm -hmm. and scientists and other folks work at the sewage district, and, uh, and I'm lucky enough to get to work with all of them and they, they are the ones who make this work happen every day and and, uh, and keep that water that's coming out really clean and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. But in a big picture way, at least, the uh, there's a few kinds of things you're trying to manage for, cause, you know, that go down our sinks and drains and toilets and everything, and you want to make sure those, that they don't go back out into the environment. So there's nutrients we talked about is one big one. Um, phosphorus and nitrogen are two of the most important nutrients like for plants um, mm -hmm. to grow and like we talked about earlier too much nutrients in that waste stream coming out of the treatment plant would be really bad for the rivers and the lakes downstream so we're trying to manage nutrients out of the out of the sewage we're trying to manage any toxic chemicals that might be in there um, 
And if you think about, you know, cleaning products might have chemicals in them, and if too much of that accumulates, maybe it would become at a toxic level. Mm -hmm. I talked about chlorides from salt that we put on the sidewalks earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, Another type of chlorides go into the sewage system, and those are from, because we have such hard groundwater in our Mm -hmm. homes, so what we do is we almost all of our, all homes in, in the Dane County area have a water softener in the basement or somewhere yeah. um, somewhere tucked away in the house, the, that water softener puts salts in that, that uh, soften the water. So the water is going to work better now for suds and, mm. and cleaning and stuff like that. But it means that we're putting some chlorides in to the water to get that softening process yeah. to happen. So we're going to, now those chlorides are going to make their way through all the piping system to the sewage treatment plant. And we're going to be, the sewage treatment plant, it turns out, doesn't do a very good job of taking chlorides out of the, out of the sewage. And so what we end up putting into the, in the nature again on the other mm-hmm. end of the plant can have a high level of chlorides in it. Oh, like we said yeah. before, chlorides are not good for fish and aquatic mm-hmm. life. So there's a, there's a new issue there that's um, been one that we've been spending a lot more time on in the last few years because it kind of emerged as as an issue that people didn't realize as much beforehand but now we have to really do something about it so we don't put too much chloride into the into the rivers downstream yeah has COVID-19 affected your job in any way well it certainly has in the sense of like like uh so many people um having to work at home instead yeah. of work at the office and have to mm-hmm. avoid uh, seeing coworkers face-to-face and seeing the partners and um, that we work with in, in any face-to-face way. We haven't been able to do any any of that since March when everything really changed on, mm-hmm. on COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, we're lucky, though, that we have uh, we do still have work to do and we can do our work uh, working remotely yeah. and, and communi- communicating with each other over high-tech, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, tools like yeah. like uh, video conferencing and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and we're lucky too. You know, at Clean Wisconsin, we get we're a nonprofit organization, um, and we get our funding from people and families who care about the mission that we're working on, and they mm-hmm. want to support us with donations of their money. Yeah, and then we get we get um, grants from organizations called foundations who have a, a large pot of money that they literally give away to c- different. Uh, causes that they see out there nonprofits that are doing really good work on different issues environment and other issues so we're lucky that all those places where our funding comes from are are still working hard to give us enough funding so that everybody can keep their jobs and keep working on the good work yeah. that we do yeah so we're really lucky that way um and so for now we've been pretty in pretty good shape in terms of not having any major direct impact on on our work from COVID 19. We'll see what the long-term um, answer to that question is over the next year or two, mm. but for now, mm. it's pretty good. This is a question I try to ask um, everyone who comes on our show, and I feel like it's very interesting because everyone seems to have maybe even a completely different answer to it. So what is your definition of success? I think we're successful when we're helping people to understand how the world works, how Mother Nature works, how our natural resources work, and how they interact with the behaviors and the choices that we make. You know, we have a role that's educational and building people's awareness like that. So that's a way that we can be successful is if we are um, are accomplishing that part of our mm-hmm. job of educating and helping people see the connections. That's certainly a big part of it. I think we, um, 
when we're speaking for the resource like like we try to do and really kind of giving it a voice so that when decision makers at the government level or business or other you know levels that make big decisions that have an impact on the environment if we at least can do a good job of speaking for the natural resources um then people are going to factor that into their thinking right and at least not make a decision that that ignores even ever thinking about it yeah and so that there's you know that it still can be really hard and sometimes we lose fights where we've fought really hard to protect a certain thing or get the policies to really be protective of a certain part of the environment but at least we we did that piece of of like representing the interests of the of natural resources in the in the conversation or in the decision and then I think there's a really important part that we think about a lot lately, which is making sure that all the people, you know, so everyone has a different kind of stake or an, or an interest in, in, in natural resources and uh, are affected in them or by them in different ways. And we want to make sure the work we do is inclusive. And we, mm. everybody who's going to um, be impacted by a decision has a chance to be involved in, in making that decision or engaged it, you know, and ask their opinion or given a chance to provide um, their perspective on it. And so we work really hard to make sure, and this is kind of in, in our work, this is some an area of work called environmental justice, making sure that um, a lot of times people who are affected the most strongly by, by environmental problems are people who might have lower incomes or have less power in terms of um, political power or that sort of thing. And we really want folks like that to be... Um, to be given an equal amount of access to to making the decisions, be involved mm, in the mm. decisions, and so that takes proactive work to make sure everyone's included in the process, and uh, and then also we're literally working to to change that reality of how some people face a bigger burden of environmental impacts on them, on their families, on their lifestyle than other people do. That's not fair. That's not equal. That you know, there's no 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 equity there and so we're working towards equity and inclusion yeah. in, the, in the processes around the work that we do mm-hmm. so that's a really important area for we need more success in that area than we have had historically and it's a new area that we're putting more and more attention of our staff at Clint, wisconsin to working on those issues because they're really mm-hmm. important yeah well thank you so much for talking to me today ezra i learned like so much more about just just the environment and not just one thing is everything yeah it is it's all in, interconnected which is mm. a cool part of how um i look at the work that i do even though i work on water mm. i really care about the land and the air and the climate all these pieces are interconnected and the humans mm. are a part of the fabric of all of it and so we have to figure out ways for you know it's not only about protecting the owls the snails the otters the frogs the butterflies but humans and all of those other species make up the ecosystem of our planet, this little lucky blue planet we live on, and how do we make all of it be able to thrive together and not be impacting each other in in negative ways. That's what's fun for me to work on every day. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much. Well, thank you, Pippa. This has been fun. I appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. Thanks to Ezra Meyer for letting me interview him. But stick around because we have more Daybreak coming up next. Support for this show comes from DNM Graphic Novel Library. DNM Graphic Novel Library is a library subscription service for kids, teens, and maybe even adults too who love graphic novels. 
This is going to be a summer subscription service that costs $7 a month and will be graphic novels delivered to your door every single week. Sounds pretty cool. Make sure to wait for details on this show, so stay tuned. Thanks, and now back to the show. Hi, and welcome back to Daybreak. I'm your host, Pippa Schrader. Imagine that you are trekking through the mountains of Borneo, an island off of Asia, and you come upon a type of pitcher plant in front of you. It's big cupped leaves inviting an ant in for it to gobble it up, or maybe something even bigger. Suddenly, the bushes next to you rustle in a cute little rodent that looks like a mouse called a shrew appears. You watch as it scampers across the path you have been hiking on, its cute little whiskers twitching, and sees the pitcher plant you've been looking at. It immediately scampers over to it, climbs onto the rim, squats a little, and waits. Oh no, is the pitcher plant going to try and eat the shrew, you think, as you watch it intensely, but you're ready to look away when the plant makes it smooth. The shrew even starts licking the leaf where it starts to curve up above its head a little, and you wonder why it's taking the plant so long to do something. Maybe it isn't interested in the shrew, or maybe it's waiting for a very, very long time. Still, after five minutes of watching, you aren't about to walk away from this strange encounter. Then you hear a small, strange squirting sound, and you look around only to find where you think it's coming from. The plant! It must be getting ready to swallow the shrew, or try to, you say to yourself as you watch the large pitcher with the highest concentration. You keep telling yourself the pitcher plants can't eat rodents, but there's still a picture in your head of the shrew's end if your fear were to come true. Then you see that the sound is actually coming from the shrew, and it, well, it looks like it's, it's pooping in the plant. Sure enough, it looks like it, and you turn your head to give the probably embarrassed shrew a little privacy. As the shrew scampers away from the plant and you continue on your imaginary adventure, you wonder why the shrew had chosen to use a pitcher plant as a toilet, and what's in it for the plant itself. Now, once you're back from your adventure, let's dive into the science of this weird encounter. First off, the thing that shrew that the shrew was licking was the plant's nectar, and the reason that the pitcher plants are okay about little shrews using their pitchers as porta potties. Well, that's a little more complicated. While as far as we know, shrews come to this specific type of pitcher plant called in the festus loi because it is a convenient place to poop and while you're doing your business you can lick the sweet, yummy nectar from the plant's pitcher. The plant's okay with it because it gets its much needed nitrogen from the poop. Actually, between fifty seven to one hundred percent of it. It's vital if the shrew decide to poop in the plant, since the mountains of Borneo, there's not an abundance of insect life for the carnivorous plant to snack on and get its nitrogen from. Also, if you looked even closer in your imaginary Borneo adventure, you would have seen the mouse rub its genitals on the upper leaf that is over it when the shrew poops. And it does this basically just to say that this is my toilet. Get off! This is fascinating and kind of a gross example to show that symbiosis, where two living organisms work together and get something, each getting something from the interaction, is the best of both worlds, even when it comes down to shrew poo.
thanks for listening to this week's episode of Daybreak and to this season of Daybreak. I'm your host, Pivot Trader. I would like to say a big thank you to everyone who made this first season possible, including Bryn Campbell, who is an awesome friend and co-editor and co-producer. Also, thanks so much to all of our interviews this season, including... Sarah, Acacia, Mark, Emily, Bob, Abby, Derek, Haley, Toby, Judy, and Ezra, who was our interview this week. And also thanks to all of our spotlights and the people who answered our polls. Okay, um, I just wanted to say that I'm just so grateful that this podcast was able to reach people like you and reach more people through you guys sharing it and just makes me feel so proud that something could actually take off that I started so yeah it's really cool um thanks all for listening to this first season and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with the second season of daybreak okay Pippa signing off